Well, last year, I mean last year, last week, I was uh, speaking to you about this, the prophecy that God gave us about his mighty hand. God said to us, you've been faithful with a revelation of God's gracious hand. That's the hand that provides and protects and carries us. Now, God says, I want to reveal my mighty hand to you. And uh, this for us has been an incredibly exciting word. That's what we were fasting, praying. We want to see the fruit of the mighty hand of God is signs, wonders, healing, breakthrough, victory, deliverance. And last week I taught around what that looks like and what that means. So what I want to do today, as briefly as I can, is talk a little bit about how do we now as a church, as individuals, position ourselves under his mighty hand. I mean, if you can imagine an umbrella, holding up up an umbrella in a rainstorm, that umbrella is going to be effective and powerful, but whether it's effective and powerful in your life depends on your position. If you hold it up there, then it's not going to be effective because you've positioned yourself outside of the cover of that umbrella. If you come in close, well, then it's going to be very effective. So the umbrella won't change. God's mighty hand won't change. God has said, my mighty hand will bring signs, wonders, healing, deliverance. The question is, are we positioning ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that his mighty hand can work through us? So that's where we're going today. Two things I want to look at. What can we expect in our lives when the mighty hand of God is upon us? And then the number two, how do we position ourselves to walk in the power of his mighty hand? I need lots of water today. You'll have to forgive me. It just... Uh, it just... Uh, just need it. So number one, three things. When we talk about the revelation of the mighty hand of God, remember last week I said the mighty hand of God was a revelation given in the Old Testament. It was a, a revelation mostly seen when, uh, when God sent Moses to deliver f- the Israelites out of Egypt. And remember the 10 plagues and all of that. My key verse was Exodus 3 verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. I love that word. That's one of the key words that's come out of the fast for me. The mighty hand of God compels the enemy to let go. And we've been praying, Lord, we want to know that mighty hand upon our lives. Secondly, that revelation was then completely fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Because we know as Jesus walked the dusty roads of Galilee, went up to Jerusalem, everywhere he went, signs, wonders, healing, breakthrough, deliverance followed him because the mighty hand of God was upon him. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and that he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. In other words, what does the mighty hand of God look like? It looks like the lifestyle of Jesus. It looks like the works that Jesus was doing. And church, we have been called to be followers of Jesus, to do the very things. Jesus, in fact, said, greater things will you do than even I did. And so then thirdly, it was revealed in the Old Testament, it was fulfilled in Christ, and then Jesus prophesied it over every one of us. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, here's the big idea that I want all of us to grab hold of today. To walk under the mighty hand of God means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? 
That's what it means. To walk under the mighty hand of God means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit ministering to you and comforting and strengthening you, but the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. So before we go any further, I want to ask you a question. Are you open to that? No one said anything, so I'm not sure at the moment. Are you open to that? Do you believe that it's God's will for your life, not for the life of the pastor or the leaders or the super Christians, do you believe that it's God's will for your life to be filled with the Holy Spirit and power, to be able to walk under his mighty hand? You see, remember this, church, it's so important. We only find grace for the things we have faith for. You see, the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. In other words, grace comes to us through faith. If you haven't got faith for something, there's no grace for it. When we put our faith in the Word of God, even if it looks impossible, Lord, I can never see this happening, but your Word says it, so I'm going to trust you for it. As we put faith in God's Word, grace begins to flow. So if you haven't got faith to be filled with the Holy Spirit and power, then there's not going to be grace for it. But when you have faith, even if it seems impossible, but your word says it, and so Lord, I'm going to trust it. As we put out our faith, grace begins to flow. So what would five signs? If the mighty hand of God rests upon someone, how would we know? What is the evidence, the fruit, the, the evidence in their lives that the mighty hand of God has come upon someone? Number one. Sign number one, a transformed tongue. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual, but it is. The ability to speak in other languages or heavenly prayer language or a tame tongue. Now think about this for a moment. You see, Jesus revealed to us. He said, your tongue is connected to your heart. Jesus said, from the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. I remember once, a moment, this is embarrassing, but let me, anyway, I had a situation happen and I just got suddenly, all of a sudden, angry and, 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 and this like sense of pharisaical, righteous anger rose up inside of me. It's like, where did that come from? And, and it's like, is there some little corner of my heart that is still black and gunsy? And then I realized the Holy Spirit graciously reminded me, no, no, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever comes out of your tongue is not coming from a little recessed, dark corner of your heart. No, no. It comes from the overflow of your heart. In other words, there's so much of that in your heart still that it's overflowing. Yikes. I repented deeply. Makes sense then that when the Holy Spirit comes and fills a laugh, comes and takes up residence in our hearts, the first thing that should change is your tongue. Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now that might be, number one, a transformed um, that might rather be a new language. Acts chapter 2 verse 4, remember it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Interestingly, in Acts 2 verse 11, it says that both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. It seems the very first filling of the Holy Spirit People didn't just babble off in a different tongue. No, actually, people heard Peter and John as they were praising God and speaking. They actually heard them in their own language. To be honest, I'm praying for that gift. I'll let you know a little secret. When, I mean, we're going to Pakistan again soon, and I was there a couple of years back. And, and when we're in these corporate meetings in India or Pakistan or something, I love to sort of pray in the Spirit and look around to see if anyone responds. 
I mean, I can't speak any Urdu or any of those. So I'm just praying, Lord, as I pray in the spirit, let someone respond like, yes, Lord. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm praying, Lord, I actually want you to give me a new language by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the Bible. But sometimes it's not just a new language others could understand. I believe there's a beautiful gift when the Holy Spirit fills our hearts called a heavenly prayer language which is the most beautiful gift, which I would love every single one of you who believe in Jesus, who trusting for a filling, a greater filling of the Holy Spirit. I'd love you to put your faith out and say, Lord, I believe you want me to be able to pray and worship with a heavenly language. Let me read one example in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Edifies means to build up. So in other words, when you speak in a tongue, that heavenly language, you've heard people praying in tongues or speaking in tongues, what that does is actually edify you. It encourages you. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like, this is Paul speaking, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. That's Paul's desire for the churches that he went into. I want every one of you to be able to speak in tongues, to pray in tongues but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. I'm not going to unpack all of that. The point I want to make is there's a difference. If a, a pub, Speaking in tongues is sometimes for the whole church, but then it needs to be interpreted. So it could be a gift, and we've had it in church sometimes. Someone will come to me, and I'll say, Hey, Pastor, I feel like I've got a, a, a word in tongues for the church. I'll, if I trust them, I'll say, Okay, release it. But then we'll say, Okay, now let's wait. We need God to interpret that for us. And we've always had someone then come and interpret that then as a prophetic word. What he's really speaking about here is the individual gift of building yourself up. All the other spiritual gifts are to build up others. This gift of tongues is actually to build yourself up, which is why I believe that God's desire is that every single one of us would have this gift of tongues to be able to pray in a heavenly language. And so I'm trusting that if you haven't yet got the gift of tongues, don't write it off because then you've got no faith for it. Rather put your faith out and say, Lord, I'm trusting you for that gift. My own testimony wasn't that someone laid hands and all of a sudden it just began to flow. No, no. I went reading about it, trusting the Holy Spirit. I got all by myself alone because I don't want to be embarrassed. And I began to pray, right, Lord, I need you to give me this gift. And, and, uh, and then I think about a word in my mind. And I'm thinking, oh, that's crazy. That's my imagination. But since I'm myself, I'm going to say it out. And then another word. And then another word. And like a tap that drops and then begins to dribble and then begins to flow and then begins to gush. Some of you, get alone with God. Put your faith in Him. Say, Lord, I'm trusting for this heavenly prayer and worship language. I'll be honest with you. No, I shouldn't say that because I'm always honest with you. I never want to lie to you. It's a bad saying. Jody, stop saying it because I'm learning it from you. <laughs> Truth is, many times we don't know what to pray for. And what, what the gift of tongues does, it's almost something you feel here. And so most of my praying is actually in this heavenly language. When you're feeling, oh, there's breakthrough needed. I don't even know who I'm praying for now. But Lord, there's a burden here. And the Holy Spirit can then bypass your mind and all of those things. And he puts a burden in your heart, which can come out in this prayer language of prayer. I want you to have that gift. God wants you to have that gift. It's a sign of the mighty hand of God upon you. And sometimes it's not just a language others could understand. Not just a, lang a heavenly prayer language. It's a sanctified tongue as well. 
James says, uh, when he's talking about the power of the tongue, he says it's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And then it says, no man can tame the tongue. Personally, I think he included women in that, but I'm not saying it's because the Bible says no man can tame the tongue. But here's the point. What man can't do, God can does do. And I believe when the Holy Spirit, when the mighty hand of God comes upon someone, I believe one of the first things that should change is the way they speak. If you were someone who spoke with swear words, dirty, vulgar language, whatever, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I believe your language should change. And I remember in my, in my own life, when I gave my life to Christ and said, come Holy Spirit, fill me, one of the first things that changed is your speech. Amen. I only said that because I needed a water break. Number two, sign number two. Sign number one, transformed tongue. Sign number two, a heart of devotion. I love this one. People asked Peter and John when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, we want that gift. What do we have to do? And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this was the result. Verses 41 and 42. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here it doesn't even say they all began to speak in tongues. And No, no. It says this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I believe a heart that has genuinely been touched by the mighty hand of God. When we said, come Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I want your power at work in me. Less of me, more of you, I surrender. I want to be baptized in your Holy Spirit. The fruit of that is a heart that is in love with Jesus. They would devote themselves to the word of God. I remember, and I've shared the testimony often. I never used to read the Bible. I had no interest in God's word. Thought all Christians are hypocrites. I don't want to go to church. It's boring. Holy Spirit comes. When I gave my life to Christ, was filled with the Holy Spirit, there was a new devotion, a new desire. It wasn't an effort to read the Bible. It wasn't an effort to go to church. It was a new desire, a heart of devotion. Third thing, sign number three, this is a big one, great boldness. Jesus said the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What is that word? Witness actually, the Greek word there is the word martyr. Guess what that means? You know what the word martyr means? Someone who will give up their life for their faith. In other words, what the power of the Holy Spirit does is he gives you a heart of boldness to say, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. That's the beauty. And until we're willing to die for the Lord, we'll never truly live for the Lord. He says only when we lose our life will we truly find it. And that's exactly what happened to the early apostles. We saw Peter was an amazing example. How One day he's denying, he's swearing, cursing. I don't know this Jesus. Having a clue who you, you got the wrong guy. A few days later... He's standing in front of a crowd of the same people who murdered Jesus. He's now looking at them and saying, it was you who crucified Jesus. But God raised him from the dead, exalted him on high, and you need to repent of your sin. It says in uh, Acts 4 and verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, not homeschooled, Chad keeps telling me, it says unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
And I love that. I think about um, Bouncy Connor that many of you know in the church, that young man, passion for Jesus. To finish school, most people want to do a, you know, a gap year. Let's go somewhere. Let's have a year off. No, he wants to go on a ship for two years around South America to preach the gospel. And if that's not on, it comes back and says, now I want to go to Tajikistan. I don't even know how to say it. I mean, that's next to Afghanistan. That's where wars happen. No, that's where I want to go. Where does that come from? You see, that's a boldness that comes from the Lord. I think about Dion and Saskia part of the church, living in Cambodia, having babies, raising kids in Cambodia, and right now, because they want to establish a church for Jesus. Where does that come from? That's the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Sign number four. This is such a crucial one. Sign number four. The fear of the Lord came upon them. Church, I think if there's one thing that's needed more than any, to return to the church, the holy fear of God. Where church is no longer ugh, something you do, it's not a religious duty, it's not a concert, it's not a spectator sport. The holy fear of God comes upon his people. In Acts 2 verse 43, it said, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Then the old King James said, And fear came upon every soul. Oh, that's what I'm praying for. But what is the fear of the Lord? It's a difficult thing to describe. I believe the fear of the Lord is, a, is kind of a combination, number one, of holy terror. Let me tell you, the danger is we can be so familiar. The Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace and thank you, Father, for your lavish love. But let me remind you, if you came face to face with God, you would be filled with a holy terror at the presence of God. When, when Isaiah had a glimpse, just a, a glimpse, he fell down and he said, woe is me because of the awesomeness of the presence of God. I think it's a combination of absolute terror. I believe it's a combination of reverence. When God spoke to Moses from the bush, he said, take up your sandals. This is holy ground. Reverence as we come before the Lord. And then I think it's a combination of that plus the amazing love and adoration. It says the elders, they took their crowns, they fell down, they said, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. I mean, imagine if holy terror plus reverence plus absolute love come together in a human heart. That's the fear of God. And when we have the fear of God, it's the fear of God that keeps us from sinning because we realize, God, you are a holy, righteous, pure God. May the fear of God come upon us. I believe it's the condition, that's the condition of heart that brings revival to the church. That's the opposite of a hypocritical heart, a religious heart, or a familiar heart. And then sign number five, let me land quickly. There's a shaking that comes to the camp. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Because remember, Acts 2 verse 2, as the Holy Spirit fell, it said suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. There's a violence that takes place, a shaking that takes place. And I'll tell you why. Because the, the book of Hebrews tells us the kingdom you are receiving cannot be shaken. So it says they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says the building they were meeting in was shaken, but they weren't shaken. You see, what happens is when the Holy Spirit fills a heart and empowers a heart, those things inside of your life that are not of the kingdom will be shaken. 
but what is of the kingdom will stand strong. In Acts chapter 16, verses 26, listen to this. It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. This is Paul and Silas. They're in prison. They've been flogged. They've been beaten. They're locked up. They're in the stockade in the center of the prison. This earthquake comes, and it says, at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When the mighty hand of God comes upon you, there's a shaking that breaks open prison doors and releases chains of bondage, sickness, addiction, all of these things. Church, that's what we need. That's what we need. Holy Spirit, we need that shaking. Not a shaking meeting where we just want to enjoy that. No, no, no. We want a shaking that shakes loose those things that the enemy is trying to hold on in people's lives. So how do we position ourselves to live under his mighty hand? Oops, two things. Number one, and church, this is huge right now. We've got to make a choice individually. If you want to live under the mighty hand of God, you have to make an intentional choice. I want to live a life of humility, not pride. That's what it comes down to. And this is like swimming upstream because everything in our world is this humanistic age. It's all about me. People should serve me. I'm entitled. It's about me. I want people to see me. I want to express myself because it's about my rights and my convenience and me. And as Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. That's for the older generation. But Jesus came and said, no, you choose humility as Jesus did. Because the Bible's clear in 1 Peter 5, it says, in the same way you are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Sometimes you think you're fighting the devil. You think you've got warfare against Satan. You haven't. You're fighting God because God's fighting you because the Bible says he will oppose the proud. So if you're trying to make it all about yourself, if you want to focus on you all the time, then your enemy is not the devil. Your number one enemy is God because he loves you so much and it's that pride that keeps you from his grace. You've got to choose humility just as Jesus modeled for us. It says in, remember that verse we studied, 1 Peter 5 verse 6, humble your, it carries on. It says verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I've always wondered, why do you put the anxiety verse next to the humility verse? I'll tell you why, because anxiety reveals pride. Because what you worried about are the things you're still holding on to. It's like, this is my thing. No, no, no. Cast your anxiety on him. What does humility look like? It's not about me. Not me in control, Lord. I'm choosing to trust you. Taking the focus of me, putting it on Jesus, putting it on others. I'm releasing what I'm holding on to, to you. And then lastly, number two. How do we position ourselves? Number one, we choose humility over pride. Number two, we choose to be full of the Holy Spirit. I think the Bible reveals to us that not all of us are as full of the Holy Spirit as one another. In fact, I believe we get to choose how full of the Holy Spirit we want to be. Example in Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And that was when they chose leaders, choose people that you know. You can see in their lives they're full of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just say, choose the first seven men, let's make them deacon. No, no. 
Because not everyone is as full of the Holy Spirit as everyone else. In other words, we get to choose. So let me leave you with a final scripture. How do we choose? How do we choose how full of the Holy Spirit, how much of the mighty hand of God can work in and through us? Well, Ephesians 8, I mean Ephesians 5, sorry, 18 to 20, excuse me, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, that means evil wickedness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What a crazy analogy. But it's actually a great analogy. It says, you give you two options. If you get drunk on wine, the more you drink, you drink, you drink, you drink, you drink, your behavior is more and more influenced based on how much you drink. That's what alcohol will do to you. You go from, I think, tipsy, and then you probably get drunk, then you get, I don't know, wasted, whatever the words are. By God's grace, I've never been drunk before. But here's the point. The more you drink, the more your behavior is going to be influenced in a direction. And Paul says, now, with that picture in mind, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the more we drink, the more we say, Holy Spirit, I want to be full, full. The more... Bottom line is you can't be full of the Spirit and yourself. So in other words, the more we surrender, yield, humble, Holy Spirit, I want you to fill more of my life, more areas of my heart, everything under your authority and control, the more your behavior will get influenced, not for debauchery, but for holiness. You see, He's the Holy Spirit. He wants to influence you towards greater and greater holiness unto God. The way you live reflects your willingness to either submit to the Holy Spirit or resist Him. See, if you're still living in sin and you allowing, you know, I know this is wrong, but I'm sure God understands. And whatever, what that is proof of is you resisting the Holy Spirit because He's holy. He's convicting you. He's nudging you towards holiness and you're resisting, resisting, resisting. That just drains us of the Spirit. The more we yield and surrender, yield and surrender, I messed up, come back. Yield and surrender, the more he fills our hearts. And then it carries on. It says in verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I don't know how to do that. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I don't know, maybe practice at home this afternoon. I don't know how to do that. But somehow it means in your fellowship with one another... You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way you interact, by the way you allow the Holy Spirit into your fellowship. And then it goes further. It says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. In other words, our constant melody of the heart should be worship to the Lord. Not let your Sunday song, no, no, constantly. Let your heart be full to overflowing. It should be a practice to be listening to worship music in the car, sing it, bring it into the home, sing in the shower, whatever you do, but let the song of your heart be worshiped to the Lord. Because as we worship, we're saying, come Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. And always give thanks to the Father, verse 20, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. That's how we drink. Holy Spirit, affect my fellowship with one another. Holy Spirit, I want to sing and make music and fellowship with you. And Holy Spirit, I want to be always giving thanks to the Lord. Church, that's our challenge. If we want to walk in the revelation of the mighty hand of God upon us, we have to choose. How do we position ourselves? If we want to walk full of the Holy Spirit, we've got to position ourselves. God's done it. He's given us this gift. The question is, do you want to receive it and walk in it? Why don't you come on up? We're going to, uh, I know we'll be another five minutes, but we're going to sing one final verse, one final song, 
And this song simply says, Come, Holy Spirit, and fall afresh on me. Would you stand with me quickly, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes just for a moment. The picture I had in my mind was Abraham, the father of faith, dug many wells for his sheep and goats. But enemies came and blocked up so many of those wells that his sons later then had to come and unblock the wells. Some of you here this morning need to ask the Holy Spirit to unblock the wells, the rivers of life that God has put inside of you. For some of you, you, yes, you love Jesus, but you haven't been allowing the fullness of the Holy Spirit to work in you so he can work through you. And Father, as we stand in your presence this morning, Father, we say, come Holy Spirit. If you're comfortable, can you lift your hands? It's a beautiful sign of surrender before the Lord. Let this be the prayer of your heart this morning. If you're online, watching, wherever you are, just close your eyes and just begin to pray. Come Holy Spirit. Will you fall afresh? For some of you, might be for the first time ever, saying, I yield control to you, Holy Spirit. If we want to walk under the mighty hand, this is humility. I bow my knee, my sense of control, and I surrender. For some of you, those wells might be blocked up. It's time to ask the Holy Spirit to unblock those wells through repentance, yielding. Come, Holy Spirit. You can't be full of the Spirit and full of yourself. So let's repent. Some of you haven't received that heavenly prayer language. Receive it now. Put your faith in the Lord now. Stop excuses, denying, that. don't believe the lies of the enemy. Say, Lord, I believe this gift is for me. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to ask Jesus. You give gifts. I'm asking you, Jesus, to release in me a heavenly prayer language. Come on, church. Let's sing this with faith. Come, Holy Spirit, and fall afresh on me.